Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Beanie and Blazer Radio, your weekly dump of high-performance insights and best practices to help you better engineer a more purposeful lifestyle. I'm your host, Eric Horback, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce season two of the podcast. This season, I'll be talking with the brilliant minds behind the Beanie and Blazer creative team and unpacking some of their unique content that will help anyone achieve their life's goals faster, more graceful, and with purpose. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Brandon Walker um, for the second time this season, the CEO of Beanie and Blazer, one of the creators of the Beanie and Blazer Mindset Accelerator. Uh, I don't want to set you up too much for this one. It was it was a great conversation. Brandon and I have uh, always have really fun conversations, and this one, um, I mean, we, we dove into all kinds of cool stuff, discipline, feedback, communication. I mean, there's just useful nuggets in this podcast throughout the entire thing, and I, I really hope you enjoy it. Brandon, what's up, man? How are yo, you? Yo, yo. Good morning. Good morning. I like how I'm wearing a hat and you're wearing a hat. We're both wearing hats. Yeah, you motivated me. Monday, no, it's not Monday, it's Wednesday. But uh, mornings are for hats, right? Morning, yeah, mornings are for hats. Cool, man. Well, I'm excited. We got another one. This is round two with with you. Uh, we still got another round with Mark, another round with Juddy, another round table. We got all kinds of fun stuff coming. But today, um, today we're going to... We're going to talk about some cool stuff, I think, and um, I hope that we could be useful. Me too. So I wanted to, I think I wanted to start out by just m- mentioning quickly that um, when it comes to the holidays, like I always in December, all right, here, here's like a nonstop every year in December, discipline goes to shit. It's like a thing. Now, this December, I actually gave myself the grace to like give myself like the permission to say, dude, it's time to chill, focus on being present, family and everything. And I think that that's that's awesome. I think everyone should be doing that. And like December is a really good month to focus on being present. But, um, you know, there's like two two things that that happened. Either a um, I was going into December with a bunch of discipline. And then as soon as December comes around and I try to be present and I try to disconnect a little bit from work and that discipline, the guilt kicks in and um, like, it just, it doesn't feel right. This is me last year, right? This year was very much intentional. Like I gave myself the permission to like not be as disciplined, but I know that uh, it's for, for a lot of people, maybe it's uh it's like you want to keep trucking in December, but because everything keeps getting thrown at you and like family and, and going shopping and everything with the holidays, it's really hard because you got these things just nonstop coming at you. And I know like we talked yesterday or I think it was yesterday and you're like, yeah, well, you know, I'm going home to see the family, but I have this stuff set out for me and I know I'm going to be working these days. And I know, you know, your stepfather had work and you're like, I'm going to be working here. And I know that you being you, you'll probably keep that discipline. And, and I know it's a muscle and I know that it's probably, I don't know, is it easy for you to keep that discipline? I think so, especially around the holidays, it really depends on your season of life too. You know, like you, and bear in mind last December, you guys were having the birth of your first child. Like there was a lot of shit that you couldn't have been disciplined. You didn't know what to expect. Like you had a lot of new things dumping onto you. There's a natural change of year, which has new goals and new plans and everything else that you're trying to map out. And at the same time, boom, there's little wolf popping out. So you guys had your hands full. And so for me right now, the season that I'm in is I want, I'm trying to grow this business and there is no take, like if I took two weeks off getting ready for our new class and new sales processes, we would be up shit's Creek. Like I literally don't have an option. And so when your back's against the wall like that, it's, it becomes a lot easier to do the work when you're feeling the pressure of it, you know? Um, and then same with my marathon. Like if I take a couple of weeks off, if I eat every cookie that's shown to me and every meal that my mom prepares to the degree I would when I was in high school, I'm going to lose what I've been gaining over the last six weeks in training. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's easy, but the alternative is not doing those things that I bet the house on with the business. Like literally everything hinges on that um, for me personally. And then for the marathon, it's just a big ass goal that I've set that I'm not going to not do. Yeah. It's like you have this giant purpose, right? You know, you're going to do that marathon. You've worked so hard for it. And I, I, I look back and I'm like, all right, well, when, 
what was happening in my life when I was the most disciplined I could be. And it was always, and it was more effortless because there was so much purpose behind it and so much stuff going on that it was just, it just was, you know what I mean? I don't know how better to better explain it. It just was. Yeah, dude. I mean, we, we've talked about discipline. We've talked about habit stacking and, and we both know that things like inspiration, motivation and willpower, they decrease over time. And so you really have to get into a habit where it's autotelic as soon as possible. Um, otherwise, you're, you're literally every day trying to find the willpower to go do the thing that you have to do. And it's really hard to conjure that up on a daily basis. Yeah. So I've heard that word autotelic a lot. And as it applies to help me understand a little bit more how it applies to discipline and, and creating like discipline as an autotelic, I guess, what is it, a response or whatever? Yeah, I, I correlate like the word autotelic. I just think of muscle memory. I, that's not a that's not a direct definition. Like autotelic is being able to do things without having to think too much about it, uh, something to that effect. And so um, the the muscle memory component is just the example that Mark used on your guys' episode two, uh, two episodes ago, he talked about brushing your teeth. Like there is actually a whole process for that, that you have to learn at some point. And for kids, it's really freaking hard to learn how to brush their teeth. But for us, you just get up, you throw some toothpaste on, you scrub your teeth down and you're good to go. And so the same concept applies. It's just the goals get bigger. The obstacles become more challenging. And, uh, the, the routine discipline, being able to execute the task over and over again to create it into a habit. It's that repetition that creates the muscle memory that enables you to just flow. Um, yeah. And that's easier. I mean, that's easier said than done. hundred percent, hundred percent. So when we break down discipline and mindset accelerator, we talk about there are three types of general triggers that drive a habit, like a new habit that you're trying to set. You can find inspiration and inspiration is something that comes from external sources, right? So I watch a David Goggins video. I watch you go do something. And I'm like, holy shit, that really motivates me to, I am inspired by your efforts. And so I'm going to work harder. That's the weakest form of discipline because it's fleeting. You have to rely on something outside of yourself to actually embody the, the discipline to do the thing, right? So then the, the next leg down from that is motivation and motivation is internal. I have motivated myself to go, whether that's through mantras, positive self-talk, setting those goals and wanting to do it. Motivation stronger than inspiration. But even that we all know our motivation goes away, right? At the end of the day, when you've been working a long day and you have to go run, you have to motivate yourself to actually get up and do that. And then finally, the strongest of the three triggers is determination. This is no matter what, even if I don't feel motivated, I'm going to put my fucking shoes on and just get ready to rock. So inspiration is the weakest, determination is the strongest. And these are discipline loops before the habit is actually created. Now what happens is whatever that trigger is for your discipline, it converts to willpower. Willpower is that intermediary step of, you know, the, the motivation or the, the, the determination gets you up at 5.30 a.m. to go run in this example. The willpower is actually putting on your clothes, getting your shoes tied, and taking the action steps to actually put the thing in motion. Then you start executing, which is going for the actual run, and then you have a process of review at the end of it. And review is, in, in the example of running, what was my time per mile? What was my goal? What was my distance relative to my goal? And you actually take the time to consider how was I feeling? How was my body? How was my mind? And as you do that day in and day out and your body gets acclimated to waking up, putting the shoes on, getting up, running, reviewing, that will become a habit. So for me, I'm six weeks in running right now. When I skip a workout or I cut one out, it feels weird. Like it, it is like your meditation habit. When you don't do it, you can feel the, um, Maybe not anxiety, but the, the feeling of internal tension. Like loss. Y yeah, yeah. Like you're missing something, right? Like you didn't brush your teeth. It, right. Yes, it's yeah. become a habit that's ingrained in your day-to-day. -day. And then you feel weird all day. Just goofy. Yeah, I, lo I love doing that. It, in fact, I remember it took me a few times of actually actively creating a habit and like following James Clear stuff and actually like making a habit and be autotelic for me to realize how powerful habits actually are.
it took missing it. It took, it took the feeling of missing the action I was doing and being able to look back like two years ago and be like, well, I, how am I feeling this, this loss when two years ago, it wasn't even something that was on my mind. I, I totally agree. And, and the thing is like, I think everybody knows that habits are important. Like there's nobody that you're going to talk to that you bring up habits and they don't think that they have any sort of an impact, right? Like whether positive or negative, I, I haven't encountered anybody that denies the value of a habit where people get really stuck is like building that it's the discipline loop, the discipline cycle. And so they watch Gary V Will Smith, Jocko Willink, David Goggins, people that they admire. They're like, they have way more gas in the tank than I do. How can they do that? That, that's not necessarily true. The person is just really deep in their relationship with that objective or that discipline pattern. And it sets them up for success. There, there is no fucking shortcut. You just have to do it over and over again. And it sits and everybody looks for a hack, a shortcut, a, you know, uh, uh, what's a cheat code, a quick way of doing things. There just isn't when it comes to discipline, when it comes to that growth, you just have to put the work in. Yeah. So, um, I mean, motive inspiration, you said is the first one that comes from, uh, something outside that you see, maybe you see another person or another figure that does something that you're inspired by. And you're like, wow, like that's cool. I want to work my way towards doing something that cool or doing something that big. Right. And then the, you said motivation is next. So that's easy. I know how to trigger motivation, right? I just go on YouTube and I can literally type in the problem I'm having in my life. And there's someone out there that's made some video. It's, it's usually like Jocko Willink or David Goggins or one of those dudes that have made just like, they're just really good at talking. But and watching really other people talk, that's, in, that's inspiration. You know, it, it's, it's adopting that same mentality yourself and being able to plug into that without gotcha. having to watch that video. So it's just like, I said, I'm going to do this. I am a beast. I am a badass. I'm going to get up and fucking go. And that is the motivation. Well, doesn't inspiration trigger motivation? I, I think so. Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely a corollary, like, but you, it, it's, to, to piece these out, like why we distinct or make distinct all three of those components, inspiration, motivation, determination, is they strengthen. So when you don't have to watch that video and you're able to intrinsically motivate yourself, you are in that motivation tier. But then it's the people who, when, even when they can't find that motivation, when every bone in your fucking body is screaming to stay in bed and you resist and you get up and go, that is determination. You don't feel it. You're not into it. The first two miles of the run suck or the first hour of research or whatever the project is that you're working on, but you still grind through because you know, you're building the habits. So how do we get from like, it's, it's normal. And I feel like everyone feels those moments where it's like, dude, I am feeling motivated today. Like I'm going to do some cool shit. Like I'm going to wake up and there's something about that day or that moment, or maybe it was like, I don't know, maybe you met a new partner the day before and you're just feeling like super motivated on life and stuff like that. So these are triggers that could happen in your life that trigger motivation. But what, and I understand those and I feel motivated, right? You could feel motivated, but how does that, how do you get to determination? I feel like determination is such a high degree of motivation where it's hard to really pinpoint exactly where that comes from and how to get there. Like, how do you trigger determination? Well, it's, it's almost, you know, you said earlier, or you asked me earlier, is it easy for me to stay disciplined when I go home? And the answer is no. Like I'm in my childhood bedroom. My mom is cooking everything. There's so much alcohol and it's Christmas time. There's treats and presents and people and everything else, right? Like so many distractions. And so I don't think that every day that I have to do my work when I can go see my grandparents or hang out with my family or something, I'm not going to feel motivated to do all the shit that I have to do. But I'm going to keep getting up early. And even though it's going to be 20 degrees in the teens while I'm out there, I'm going to get up. I have a 16 mile run and I have an 18 mile run while I'm at home in Ohio. Uh, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to be motivated to do that when it's snowing outside. And so there, there's no easy answer. It is literally just, you bare your teeth or you, you grin. What is it? Grin and bear it. You grin and bear it. You just go. And so, um, it, 
it really is this idea of just no matter what obstacles are in front of me, I'm going to keep moving forward because it's what I committed to. So it's like determination kind of shows up when you lack motivation. It's like when that motivation is just like, because it's, because it is fleeting when that motivation, when that, when the curtains of motivation are lifted, then that's when determination shows its head. Yes. And when you can find that within yourself, you know, you're on the path to creating a habit because no matter what you're just doing and eventually it will become autotelic. And it takes that, that, that systematized practice in order to develop that habit of determination. And I also, it, it feels like that it also comes with a vision of some future or some like long-term goal that you're just compelled to, to hit. Right. Totally agree. And this, and this is where recovery becomes so fucking important. Like I, I know we've covered some of these topics in different ways over the course of the podcast, but the reason we talk about these things so much and explore them in so many different ways is they're the fundamentals. Like the things that we talk about are the equivalent of in basketball, learning how to play defense, box out to get rebounds, having proper shooting form. It's all the basic stuff, not the flashy shoot from half court stuff, right? And so when we talk about recovery, especially in the example of running, like my physical body, on week six now, I can feel myself starting to deteriorate. I've run more miles in the last six weeks than I have in probably the last three or four years combined. And so in doing that, my knees are hurting, my calf is hurting, my hips are super tight. And so you have to do the appropriate recovery, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual to continue propelling you forward. But to your point, it's always anchored in those values. It's always anchored in that purpose and the, what the fuck am I actually trying to do here? Mm. So let's say that I want to find, and well, I guess find is the wrong word. Let's say I want to build determination for something that I want to do in 20, 2021 or whatever like that. Like, for example, I remember in, I think it was 2018, I managed to read a book a week, equivalent to a book a week. And then, yeah, I crushed it. And it was actually probably pretty annoying. I think I know it was annoying as hell for like my wife and probably people close to me. Cause I was always like, Oh dude, did you, so I just read this and this thing. Yes. I was always like yes. blurting out these like shit that came out of these books. I am enlightened. Yeah. I think on one side it was just a reminder of how much they weren't reading. And then the other side, it was like, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah. We know you read. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, r- real quick, I know this isn't the point that you're making, but in the early days of me being a manager, I was, I was reading a shit ton and I was still trying to formulate like who I am as a boss, like in the context of my, and personally, I was 22, 23, 24, you know, I'm trying to figure everything out. And so I got criticism from my managers and from the CEO saying, Hey dude, whatever your book a month is like, you're spinning people around and getting folks confused. Cause it's like, this is our new goal setting methodology. And then I throw that away. It's like, never mind. Now we're doing this. Now we're doing this. And I'm excited as shit, but I wasn't stacking the things. I was switching the things and it's really confusing for people. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing about books too, is there's a different book for everybody in a different time. Like, like you said, there's seasons and sometimes like I can read a book and then recommend it to someone, but in their life, in that moment, that book is completely useless, right? They could read it and go through the motions of reading it, but there's a good chance that emotionally, psych- like psychologically, um, inspirationally, whatever they need, isn't that same book that was great for you. Right. So it's, yeah, you can't really like, that's, that's, what's rough about having like, uh, a, from a leadership standpoint saying, all right, we're going to read this book this month, this book the next month, because everyone needs something different at a different time. Yeah. As far yeah. As it's almost like me giving you barbarians at the gate. Oh, I finished it. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we digress there, but yeah. So 2021, I'm going to get back into it and uh, I don't want to get too deep into like New Year's resolutions because we are going to be doing a, a special podcast. On Bonus baby. Bonus podcast. So, um, I want to get, let's say I want to get back into it and I want to read a book a week. The motivation is there. Cause I know what it's like to read a book a week. I know that it feels great to feel informed. I know it feels good to feel aware and to, to develop and all that kinds of stuff. But how, what steps would I take to fill this goal with determination? I think it starts with understanding why you want to read a book a week. Why is that an objective? Yeah. So let's, and and the reason I say that is if a person responds with, 
I just want, I want to learn as much as possible. My response would be, okay, about what, like, what are you trying to learn? Well, I want to be a better leader. I want to focus on personal development, whatever. And I would question whether the number of books that they, that you read is the right metric. You know, like just because you're reading a lot doesn't mean you're retaining a lot. And I have, I have in the last year started to change from volume of books to reading the same book, like three or four times, really deepening my connection with the material. So let's assume reading a book a week, there's a reason for it that's valid. And the person has a why connected to doing that. It's not just a vanity metric of, oh, I can read 52 books in a year. Like, great. That great. Um, so if there's something deeply entrenched there, you know, inspiration can be found from, as you point out earlier, YouTube videos. What are some book clubs that celebrities are doing? What websites are there that can recommend other books? And you can continue to, to build on your list and get excited about what you're doing. The motivation would probably come from your excitement for reading a particular book or on a particular topic, right? It's, oh shit, I'm really giddy to learn about wealth accumulation. And so I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I'm just excited about that for what I'm going to be learning. Now the, de the, the determination comes in at a point of friction. So it's like Christmas time, I'm traveling for the holidays. If I'm gone for two weeks and I'm with family and I have cumulatively 450 pages of books to read to knock out two during that two week period, determination is finding the time and the space to do it and just knocking it out even when you know that the family is going to do this event at 4 p.m. Shit, I can't join you guys till five or six because I have, I have, to, I have to read. And so the determination is, it's, it's literally just a decision that you are going to do it in spite of this feeling of resistance that you have based on the situation you're in, whatever your headspace is, it's just getting the shit done. So if I, I mean, if I look deep and ask the questions of why, why do you want to read a book a week? Why do you want to do all this stuff and get deep into it? There's a good chance that my desire to read a book a week is really based in something else, some other emotional need or some other thing I'm trying to accomplish that the metric for that isn't a book a week. So by digging deep into it, I might actually change that. And maybe it's to fully grasp and understand an author, a book um, to the point where I can like talk about it or something like that. And I want to make sure that there's 12 topics or something like that, that I want to make sure that I know really well. Right. And then break those down into, well, how many books do I need to read and understand these topics? Right. So it's really getting deep into more of the whys behind it. And then you find determination in there. And yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, yeah. and I have found like, uh, in particular in the last year, my, I like reading a lot of fiction, nonfiction. I, I read a lot of different stuff, but for the last year I've read almost exclusively personal development books, habit books, spirituality books, trying to build up for our curriculum. Like, so I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just leading this company. I'm able to talk the talk and walk the walk on the shit that we talk about. And so I have uh, like optimized my reading list for that purpose. But now that I've gotten a ton of coverage there, we've launched Mindset Accelerator. We have a strong curriculum. I'm starting to shift back into business growth books. So, you know, Russell Brunson talking about how you build out sales funnels and marketing funnels, Sam Oven stuff, uh, other entrepreneurs, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. Um, just trying to really get my head around, okay, now that we have a concept and a product that we know works and fits, how do I actually scale the business from that? And so there's a direction that I'm pointing my time and effort, um, very specifically around what I need personally. Yes. So now you're filled with all kinds of books and all different knowledge and stuff like that. You could probably, if someone came up to you and was like, here's a problem, you could probably pick a book out pretty quickly, can't you? I love doing that. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Um, when you were, so you said when you were, when you were managing, when you were first starting out and you were like, oh, we're going to read this book, this book, this book and going on. Um, how did you, how did you know who gave you the feedback? Like who was like, dude, was it a boss or is it was someone that you're giving books to? I wasn't having the team read. I was reading. And so they didn't even have full context. Like I just be like, here's the key takeaway and here's what we oh, are okay. implementing. Gotcha. And so we would implement the thing and that would have been great if I stuck to the thing and then stacked another thing onto it later once that really got adopted, but I wouldn't let things settle in. And so it first came from Trace, like my, my boss, the 
at the time he was the president of the company. Now he's a CEO. So Trace is like, Hey dude, you know, I've noticed that you're talking about things and are like really haphazardly. And I think that's risky. So I went to my managers. I'm like, do you guys agree with this? They were like, yes. Yep. We really agree with that. Can we please like you keep reading, but stop telling us what the flavor of the week is. And that helped. I'm sure that you, I mean, you're really good at accepting feedback and like following that, that feedback loop. Do you, so another question you, uh, I'm sure now that you've gotten all this experience in leadership and you've been reading these books and now with Mindset Accelerator and you have students and everything, when you hear people's goals and they're vague and you can tell just by the way the goals are, you um, just through experience, you can you know what's going to work and what's not going to work, right? To a, to a degree. Yeah. I think uh, in, in terms of like, what makes a good goal, you know, like what, what attributes need to be there for it to be something that you'll probably stick to. I have a really good understanding of that framework, but then you need to weigh that particular goal against the person's skill set and their drive to accomplish the goal. And so they may have a perfectly structured goal that I may still kick back on because it's like, Hey, are you sure you're going to have the time to accomplish this in this time frame, given these other 10 things that you have going on in your life? And that's why these one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions are so valuable is you can get real and, and actually block it on your calendar and look at it and say, holy shit, that's too much that I'm trying to take on at one time. And, um, and one of the things I learned from Mindset Accelerator is a lot of people don't understand the value or how to use one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so in, in my in my, uh, in my specific one-on-ones, like a couple of students didn't even take all three of their one-on-ones. And if I'm in the other seat, that's, I, I'm not sacrificing that. Like that's part of the value that I'm getting out of this program. And so I think we need to do a better job of educating people on how to use that time to make sure that we're anchoring to the content. Um, because as you know, you have a business coach, you have a spirituality coach. When you have people that can actually direct your goals and your habits, it really compounds the effect of that personal evolution. Yeah, which is, I mean, you've, I mean, I can hear it just by hearing the stories about how you used to manage and going through book after book after book and using the feedback from someone that was being able to watch you from outside that you were able to, you were able to download that, understand how to grow and improve based off of that feedback and then move on and just do something a little bit better. You, um, in the Mindset Accelerator, you talk about like feedback loops and growth and, and, and how to um, use one-on-one -on -one coaching and all these things in order to improve, like systematically improve. Cause it's not like we talk about in, in season one growth and improvement. Isn't, isn't like you're going to wake up a different person the next day, unless you have some giant fucking breakthrough. And that's rare for people. Most of it happens over time, right? Death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, can we talk, can you tell me about the, f the feedback loop and all that and like how it pertains to growth and yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I think one thing is people have a really hard time of understanding the impact, like cause and effect and, and the compound effect. So Albert Einstein, I don't know if this is a real quote, but he is quoted as saying compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And he does not necessarily mean it in the context of finances, but anything that you do consistently over time, the compounding effect of that has massive implications down the line. But what happens is you start taking action, right? Like let's say I'm getting in the gym trying to get uh, big because we both know I'm a, I'm a twig. So I start going to the gym, right? Start lifting a lot, eating, t taking in tons of protein. I see nominal gains on my body but I don't automatic, I don't turn into like this body type that I really aspire for after a month or two. And so most people give up. They're like, it's not fucking working. It's not for me. I don't have the right body type to carry this mass or whatever, whatever the, the rationalization is. Really what happens is you're putting in this, this work. So you're the cause, 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 and you're not waiting to see the effect start stacking up on the other side and you give up before you have any real return. It, it's like Juddy talked about his faith and favor graph a little bit. They're very similar concepts. And so people will put in this work 
Maybe they're collecting feedback, maybe they're not, but they give up before it can come to fruition. There's a big wave surfer actually from Wilmington named Mason Barnes. And Mason just broke the world record. He's 25, 27, something like that. Just broke the world record for biggest wave ever surfed like a month or two ago. And he's getting touted as this overnight success, you know, came out of nowhere. He just joined the professional circuit. How the fuck did this happen? And really, I happen to know that Mason has been training his ass off for years for this opportunity. And it just finally broke through. It's not fair that he's being called an overnight success because that dude has been like action bikes in a 200 degree sauna or 180 degree sauna, you know, ice baths, the whole nine getting himself prepared for this. And I think it's really unfair to him and to people like that to say it's an overnight success because what they did and what he did was understood cause and effect, took in these feedback loops and it kept improving over time until he broke the world record that I don't, I don't know much about surfing, but it's pretty impressive. The wave is gigantic. And so basically these feedback loops, it's like you take an action, right? I do a thing. And from that action, I achieve some sort of an outcome, success, good, bad, whatever the outcome is. And then there's the opportunity for review, for taking that information and doing it again. So when I was leading sales teams, we had this practice where a sales manager would sit on the phone and just listen to a sales rep do their call. This is just a, an easy example to explain this. So rep picks up the phone, makes the phone call, runs through the script, has an outcome. The person says yes, no, whatever. Then in real time, the manager says, hey, here are some notes for you. Good, better, how, based on Mark's feedback from a couple episodes ago. Here's what you did well. Here's what could have been improved. Here's how we can improve it. The rep goes, great picks up the phone, makes those changes, gets another outcome. The manager, now, okay, let's do this, this, and this. Great. And you have that real-time feedback that is training the person. That's a really obvious example of an external party giving feedback and iterating in real time. But in the real world, that, that feedback takes a lot longer to gather. So us doing this podcast, we still have a small audience. It's growing slowly but surely as we're developing the show. And remember we did our first 10 episodes together before we ever launched one with no feedback other than what we're giving each other. Then we put it in the market, the market starts talking and we change what we do for season two. We'll change what we do for season three. And so you need to be capturing that input to be able to make changes to keep evolving and improving over time. Otherwise you're going to keep doing the exact same thing because you don't know what to measure, what's going well, what's going poorly. And so to, to make it stupid simple, Feedback loops can be both external and internal. An external feedback loop is you do a thing, a coach corrects your behavior, and then you do the thing again, you get the correction, and you keep going that way, right? Basketball coaches, life coaches, business coaches, whatever. On the other hand, you have these internal feedback loops, which is you correcting your own behavior based on what you're learning. And so from all these books that we've read, from what you're learning about running a marathon, shit, okay, when I do 14 miles and I don't stretch, I know that I can't do my seven mile run tomorrow or whatever, you know, based on my training program, I, I'm hurting, I can't do it. And so feedback loop says next time stretch, next time I stretch, I'm able to do that run and we're seeing those improvements. So you have to have that corrective instinct yourself to be able to provide that feedback to keep that, that personal evolution looping. So it's all about just being open to receiving any kind of information that suggests that some sort of adjustment you can make to improve. And the easiest way to do it is external, right? Having people around you that are watching you and observing your behavior and observing the results. And then the, the hard one is the awareness, it sounds like, of um, watching yourself. Yeah. And that's, and that's tough. You have to, and, and the, the, the even harder part, I think you're totally right. But the harder part is managing your ego around all of that. Oh, so yeah. it's like, okay, if I hire a business coach, I find them to be a credible person. I'm going to listen to their input. But if it is somebody who I did not explicitly hire or ask for feedback, our instinct is naturally get a little bit defensive, right? Like, well, who the, who are you? Like, why are, 
who are you to judge this or cast an opinion? I didn't ask for that. And so sometimes their feedback's valid. Sometimes it's not. You have to you have to filter it. But what's important is you don't let that defensiveness flare up before you can ingest and think about the feedback. And and but you need the ego to continue motivating you to do it because that driver of like I'm a badass, I can do this, is what gets you to keep doing the thing. So you have to have a little bit of ego there to to create the discipline, but not so much that you get defensive from the feedback. And then the ego also with the internal talking, you can't be overly optimistic. Oh no, it was fine. Everything's fine. I don't need to stretch. Like I just need to power through it. I need to be stronger, whatever. You're going to hurt yourself. And the alternative is, oh, I really just need a break. I'm really tired today, you know, and oh, it's okay, Brandon. They're there and you let yourself off the hook. So it's like managing the ego in the context of discipline is that's a bear. Yeah. It's like, it's just like developing any other habit I'd imagine. And that's right. It's like uh, developing the habit of just doing a thing, being curious about the results rather than being tied to the results. And then that curiosity, um, having it with the intention of learning in order to go. Right. And if, if you can do that, if you can create the habit of that mindset, which is, you know, we talk about the growth mindset, but it's actually, that's exactly what it is, right? It's like, I'm going to do a bunch of shit. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to evaluate how I did it and then adjust. And hopefully you're aware and you can move your ego out of the way. So you're not defensive and all that kinds of stuff in order for you to actually like learn and then try again. It's, it's hard and most people can't do it. I don't, I, there's not many people out there that can pull that can like act, that could do it well, but the ones that can and do it for a long period of time, they eventually succeed, right? They eventually figure it out. They, they, they hit their goals. I certainly think that most people have the capacity to do it. Right. Yeah. What is, what is preventing it are limiting beliefs and this anchoring to an old identity that is bred from, you know, past experiences, conditioning, personality. And so when a person believes this is just who I am, this is how I behave and that's it. It's almost like saying, well, this is how we've always done things. It's like one of the most one of the most sneaky resistant phrases to improving is mm. saying, this is how I've always done it. This is just how I am. No, everybody can evolve. Everybody can grow. Everybody can change. It's just unwiring a lot of that, you know, those previous neural pathways, healing some of those old traumas and making a decision to prepare for the future instead of anchoring to the past. And I think once people can overcome that and recognize that, you can rebuild the foundation that your house is built on, on stronger, better foundation, and you can start building up from there. Once you can convince somebody to go through that process and they do it, anybody can do these things. It just, it's fucking hard work and it's scary because you have to revisit a lot of things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. As far as like redesigning behaviors and characteristics and values and all that kinds of stuff, like we are there's a few more episodes left of this season and in a few of them, I think some of the topics that we already have like figured out, we're, we're going to be touching on a lot of that, but I think that for, to make things easy, like I want to make it so that it's, that it's easy. I think the external feedback using external feedback loops is definitely the easiest way internal. It'll take taking like a mindset accelerator, right? It'll, it'll take really diving deep into your psyche external to me if you have the right people around you and you're able to communicate and you have good communication with several people in your sphere, then from there, you'll be able to um, manifest, I guess, like good feedback from the, your relationships. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. That's, that's why when we talk about building a tribe, you have your, your mentors and leaders, you have your unconditional supporters and you want to get rid of the negative naysayers. Mm -hmm. You want to be intentional about crafting the sphere of people around you. So it's made up of credible people who have experience or can support you doing the things that you want to do. And so, so long as you are careful about curating whose voices you're listening to and whose input you're valuing, then I do think it's the strongest trigger or uh, rather it shortens the learning curve. 
Like you don't have to go through as many stumbling blocks, but if you're not careful about curating it, it can be really risky because you're taking advice from people who you shouldn't. And that can lead you in some really dangerous places because you're not thinking for yourself and they may not have your best interest fully in mind. Okay. So most of us have people around us already, right? They're there. A, a, a lot of us do. I know some, it, it's, it's a, we're very lucky. Those of us that do have very close people around us that we are trust enough to give community, give feedback and, um, and all that. But in the end, like there's always a way to improve the relationships that you do have. And like through proper communication and connection, you could do that. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about communication. And I know that like in the, in the mindset accelerator, you, you, you dive into uh, what you call the five C's of communication. Um, yeah. How does that fit into feedback and what can we, what can we say to improve communication and better understand communication? Great, great, great question. And, and communication is one of seven of what we call the high performance principles. And so communication in a vacuum, feedback loops in a vacuum habits in a vacuum don't actually move the needle. It's when you take everything together. And that's not fair to say it does move the needle, but in order to get the return that you want, the growth that you want, it is a matter of tying all of these pieces together that we talk about. That's why we have a podcast. We tie these things together in over contiguous episodes and seasons. And so with communication, the way that you talk to people, the way that you build relationships and foster those environments for learning or support or whatever the metrics are, the way you communicate dictates what the outcomes are going to be. Like, are you, are you a person that dominates other people in conversation? Are you somebody who is resistant to feedback that people stop voicing their opinion? You know, how you actually hold space in these relationships has a lot of indication in, into what your long-term trajectory is going to look like. So when we break down communication, it's to help people dissect and understand that communication at face value is, is not enough. Like to say you need to have better communication. It's like, okay, great. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. A, as Mark talked about a trauma surgeon, somebody in an ER needs to bark orders and get shit done immediately. They don't have time for, you know, connective communication, collaborative communication. It's purely, uh, it's purely confrontational and competitive because they just need to get the shit out the door. Whereas you have somebody in like, like me at untapped where I have a team of 45 people. If I did that, we would probably hit results, but I'd be hiring all the time because people get really burnt out and frustrated and not be able to execute in that environment. So when we break down communication, we want people to recognize that you may be good at some parts of communication, but without all five of these things in balance, you're going to drop the ball in some areas of your relationships. And so the way we looked at, look at it is there's connective communication, which is how you build rapport with somebody. So it can be as simple as being at the coffee shop, making a conversation with the barista and recognizing that there may be some mutual benefit, uh, in that relationship or just making their day, just connecting with people and being able to build relationships quickly. You know, if you're told you can talk to a brick wall, that's probably because you're a really good connective communicator. Then you have collaborative communication and collaborative communication is group brainstorming, uh, decision-making by committee, like having a group of people involved in a project or an outcome that you're pushing for and working across a group to bring those things to, uh, to a conclusion. You have curious communication, which is lots of questions. Why, 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 why? You want to understand more of the world and take in more of that feedback um, from things. Then you have confrontational communication, which is building tension, uh, or excuse me, it's building or removing tension from a situation using emotion. So it's being able to tell somebody when they are practicing a behavior that you don't like. It's, it's, um, it's making clear what you want rather than biting your tongue. It's just making sure that expectations and boundaries are clearly set in 
the whole schematic, right? Um, and then the last one is convincing communication. So convincing communication is influence, it's persuasion, it's trying to get other people to adopt to your pattern of thinking and what you're trying to accomplish. And so when we went through Mindset Accelerator, one of the students has been in a job where he's working 90 plus hours a week uh, at a church doing like audio video type stuff. It is a really, really intense job. The church is growing really fast and he is the one person across three campuses that can solve some of these problems. And some of the areas where he was struggling was setting boundaries and, um, you know, being clear about what he wants so he can explain why that's not the lifestyle that he wants. That's not a good ROI for his time. And then the biggest takeaway for him was understanding confrontational communication. This particular person used to work for me at Untapped. He's a great communicator, generally speaking, right? He's very open. He, he wants to learn. He wants to connect, but apparently had issues with that confrontational side. So he created tension in the workplace by going to his boss, setting those boundaries, setting expectations, and having that confrontation. And that's not to say it blows up into this big argument or concern. It's just expressing and setting those boundaries. As a result, his time's dropped to 50 hours a week, getting paid the exact same. They're bringing in other people to add support for him. And it all started by him having that conversation, raising his hand and being a little bit confrontational. So yeah, how does that, so being, yes, yeah, so that's a lot. <laughs> First, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of things to think about when you're trying to communicate with somebody. Or like in general, when you're thinking about your relationships, like I, I, it, it's it's not that easy because we all have like we're we're all stuck in the same loops that we've always been in, especially when it comes to other people and relationships. And those relationships that we are already in have their own patterns. patterns. Right, exactly. So I mean, knowing about you know different kinds of communication and all this kinds of stuff is only it sounds like it's it's a good start. But how do I, how do I apply it? I, I, so first of all, all these things that we talk about on the podcast are meant to be frames of reference. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, our objective in having this podcast, I don't want people sitting there taking, you know, scrupulous, scrupulous notes of all the things that we're talking about. It's holy shit. I want, if, if anybody takes away from it, it's, I have been taking communication at face value. There, this goes a lot deeper than I thought. And I do need to think about how I'm talking to people in different contexts. If we can get people thinking about that, we've done our jobs well. And so I think just remembering these are concepts and models for you to apply. You don't literally have to be so academic about it in real time. I think that's helpful. It's just a resource. But that said, it, it is a lot. I realized that we got in the weeds and I read this really good quote. It was something to the effect of great relationships start with chemistry, but last with emotional maturity. And, and you think of it immediately in a romantic context, you know, chemistry, emotional maturity, growing together. But it's not just that. It's business relationships. It's uh, friendships. You know, it starts because there's some sort of values that are shared and explored together. But then over time, those patterns start to set in. People have quirks and flaws and everything else. And as those get exposed, it takes a lot of emotional maturity to keep growing together and being flexible with how the relationship evolves. And the marquee part of emotional maturity is communication. You have to be able to express what you want and need in the relationship. And you also have to be open to what the other person says they want and need. But one thing that you just said is it's like, well, we are sort of setting our patterns and stuff, right? Isn't that the same thing as saying, I've always done things this way, or this is just who I am? Like, yes, we two people have had this cadence and this manner of interacting with one another over time. But that's not to say that that can't evolve and change going forward. And we all have individual efficacy to start driving those changes ourselves and let other people evolve to adjust to our own development. Saying things like, this is how we behave in our relationship will prevent you from wanting to take the leaps forward that you need personally and pulling the relationship along in a mature fashion with your growth. Over time, right? Because like we talked about, like... E God, shit, like it's it's hard enough. Talk about the communication with yourself. Your own inner dialogue is hard enough to change, let alone bring in some external factor like another human being into the mix, right? These things are going to take time. So step one, like you just 
told us about different levels of communication, different forms of communication and stuff to think about, stuff to be aware of. But um, I'm not going to change my communicative relationship between me and another person overnight, right? It's going to happen like we talked about by a thousand paper cuts. It's going to happen through step one, being aware of this idea that communication is detailed. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to think about on doing it intentionally, right? And then from there, just slowly start taking the steps to adjust given the different conversations or the different relationships that you have. And over time, you might wake up one day and there's your there's your overnight success, right? Because you've been working on communication for a fucking year. And then finally, you'll wake up one day and be like, holy shit, this relationship is so much better than it was last year. Yes. Right? Yes. And I, I think, you know, something I fall victim to and through Mindset Accelerator found out a lot of students fall victim to is because we try to be lifelong learners, because we read a book a week or whatever it is, you have these ideas and stuff you want to do, but you realize that in a 24 hour day in one year, you can't do everything. But I being the optimist and like, you know, confident person I am, I, I stack and I stack and I stack and then some things fall to the cracks, some things never come to fruition. And so I got really sick of saying to people like significant other mom, brother, whatever, I'm going to do this thing. I, this is my new mindset. This is my new habit, whatever, before I really get momentum under it. And then I don't do it. And then I'm held accountable to that. Like one, I feel guilty. And then two other people are like, what happened to that thing that you're doing? It's like, Oh yeah, I gave that up to this other thing. It's like, one thing that I started changing was I don't say shit when I'm trying to change something and then people will observe it or not. And then after a while, once I know I'm actually settled into it, I'll be like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm doing this thing. And so you can start to make those changes without communicating the changes directly and just let yourself like feel it out for a little bit. And you'll have, especially in a romantic relationship, some squirrely moments where they're like, you just responded differently to that thing than you typically would have. Like, what was that? And, and you can, you know, respond by being direct. You can just say, Oh, nothing. I'm just, that's just how I responded to it. But the point is, like you said, even without communicating those changes, you can start to practice it and they will either practice confrontational communication, be like, what the fuck are you doing? What is different right now? Or they won't. And then you'll communicate it to them. And then you pull them along for, the thing that you're doing. Yeah. It tends to be this thing where once you change something with yourself, especially when it comes to communication, other people tend to either perceivably change or actually change with you. Yeah. And sometimes it is a perception of it and just because you're looking at it differently, but yeah, I, I also, so I love the, all right, here's a book drop the four agreements. Yeah. So that in the four agreements, one of the agreements is to be intentional with your word. And it sounds like that's exactly That's exactly it. I've been thinking about that one for a while. Cause I'm going to make that like part of my 2021, like goals is, and it's, it's been, it's since I read that it's always been on my mind, but to make it like an actual goal, I haven't figured out how to do that yet. But yeah, in there, it's about being intentional with your word. Cause your words are, are magic. Right. And, and they, they describe it in the book is magic. And when it comes to communication, to be intentional with your word um, is it's fucking crucial. It, it is fucking. And, and that's one of the benchmarks that I use for my own maturation is like, and, and I, I don't actually have a spreadsheet tracking this or anything, but how, how many times this year, like what can I reflect on when I said I was going to do something that I didn't do. And as I see that dropping over time, I feel myself growing. Like when I was younger, it was, talk first, act first, think later, like just move. And, and that got me in a lot of trouble. It got me in situations with people that were uncomfortable. And as, as you start to grow a little bit and recognize the value in planning and thoughtfulness and like how much more you can get done when you have a roadmap rather than just acting in real time all the time, it really starts to reset some of that foundation and so I would say like 2019, 2020 has been really big for me in moving a lot slower uh, to go faster and, and being more thoughtful about the long term. And I'm watching my brother who, you know, he's 21. We're wired very similarly. 
going through some of that stuff, not quite having the whole big picture dialed in and having some of those, um, those thoughts about like, Oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. I am going to do this. And then either it doesn't come to fruition or his mind changes or whatever. And I see so much of myself in that because I, I know what it feels like to, um, sort of get stuck in that, that cycle. Yeah, me too. For sure. And it's, it's, like we always talk, it's, it's, it's just doing the reps, right? It's like, even with communication, discipline, understanding like feedback loops and how the people around you can help your internal feedback loops, like all these things is all about doing the reps and it takes years. Like I'm still fucking doing plenty of reps. You know what I mean? I had to take, I, I, I've taken just like time to rest from how many fucking reps I've done in the last several years of my life. Yeah. You know, it's like, and they're going to come and they keep coming and you keep doing them. And sooner or later you, you just, you, you figure out how to through, through communicating with coaches or doing like an, like a mindset accelerator type of type of course, like this stuff starts getting ingrained and starts becoming part of your like daily habits and part of your like daily thought processes. Right. Cause that's where it starts is you want to start thinking about it. So it's being consciously aware of your communication, being consciously aware of where you stand on a, on with discipline you know are you being motivated are you being inspired are you, are you are you acting uh determined right is that filling you up like without being aware of where you stand in these things where you stand with your own relationship to communication and other people your own relationship to your own feedback loops and other people your own relationship to discipline like that's step one step two is like the action and i i, I honestly believe it takes education and help mentorship, like help, just someone to help guide you because otherwise it, it'll take longer and it's strenuous and you're going through a lot of pain that other people already fucking went through that you can learn a lot by being open and, and curious about it. I, I totally agree. I, yeah. I think um, one thing too, that's important to bear in mind is, you know, if, if you're, a, if you're a basketball player, you know, let's say you're, you're in high school and you love basketball. You're really good at basketball. You want to become a professional basketball player. There is an outcome. Like there is a threshold that you can achieve that says, I am a master of the sport of basketball. There's a very clear path there. Right. But for these things that we talk about, which encapsulates everything from mindfulness to productivity and everything in between, there is no mastery. Like I think anybody who says they're a master of these principles as a holistic umbrella that we're providing to people that nobody is, you have folks who are really good at the spiritual balance, finding my sense of self, really understanding the person and the performance strata of the P3 framework that Juddy talked about. So you have people on that side, then you have people who are really high producers who crank out a shit ton of work are masters of the seven high performance principles but can't seem to find that sense of peace or presence in their relationships. And so it really is mastery of this. What our equivalent of being in the MBA is really just learning to love the struggle. And, and that, that is where you have to be is I am always going to be evolving. I am always going to be putting these reps in. I'm always going to be breaking down habits and creating new ones. As soon as that goes away, our will to live and find that inspiration and motivation is inherently degrading. And so I think our real movement as Beanie and Blazer is trying to get people to recognize that there really is beauty in the struggle. And then that that's not in a stoic, loving the pain sort of a way, but in a manner of just appreciating the growth for what it is and, and leaning into that. If we can get more people to flip that switch and live in that paradigm, it becomes a lot more fulfilling because you don't feel like there's this MBA that you have to get to on the other side of this. Every nominal gain is a huge step up for your happiness, your production, everything in between. And every time you, it's like every time you do a step up or whatever it is, you, you craft, like you invent the NBA, the, the idea of what that is for you. And I'm not going to, you, you know, you're not going to be able to tell someone else what their mat, like what their life is supposed to look like. Nice. Right? Yes. Yes. Boom. Let's end it there. All right. That was <laughs> <laughs> drop. Good shit, man. Did you want to, uh, uh, any, anything else you wanted to add before we, we close this off here? 
No, I, I think uh, we're, we're about to start opening up our wait list for Mindset Accelerator 2.0. Souped up, going to be fucking beautiful, intense, have a great tribe of people coming in. We're targeting 20 students. Uh, so any listeners who are interested in signing up for the wait list, we will have a lot more information to follow immediately after the holidays. But if this resonates, keep your ears perked up. We're coming for you, and we'd love to have you a part of the program. Good shit. All right, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time. This is exciting. This is fun. Loved it. This is a good one. Appreciate yeah. it. All right, brother. All right, later. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the episode and Beanie and Blazer Radio. Stay tuned for more episodes released every Wednesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review on one of your favorite listening platforms. It makes a huge difference for us and we would be very, very grateful for it. Um, for more resources, you can visit the Beanie and Blazer website at beanieandblazer.com and follow us on social media. Just simply type in Beanie and Blazer in your social search bar and there's tons of awesome content that'll be posted daily for you and tons of awesome content that is posted all the time on the Beanie and Blazer website. Thank you. Be awesome. Onward and upward. Till next time, take care.